welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Here is a back-to-back podcast, uh, Christmas weekend podcast. Wanted to give you a little extra special present. So, doing a podcast with my good buddy, Mike Slinkard. Hey, John. How are you? <laughs> What's up, dude? <laughs> good. Uh. Mike, uh, Mike drew the very elusive Iowa non-resident tag. So, he's been kicking around the the Iowa late season tundra and um yeah it's been fun cooking for you in camp i've been like with you and rex out filming and doing all your thing i've just been popping in at nights to pretty much to be be your personal cater you know it hasn't been bad actually i I, i've got to say it's it's been the uh the best guided non-guided um whitetail hunt i think i've ever been on by far the food is uh, phenomenal, uh, <laughs> um, guys. If you've never had a chance to to uh, uh, experience John's cooking on the Traeger, it's worth the trip. <laughs> no matter if you see a deer or not, it was worth the trip just to come out just just to have dinner every night. Holy cow, <laughs> the stuff you made has been awesome. Yeah, well, let's. Uh, you might as well tell everybody how you're trip went because that's what everyone's going to want to know probably. well the, the trip was awesome um you know it's it's just after gun season so and, and you told me that you know that's going to be the time when the deer are the spookiest but um you know honestly we had great encounters we got close uh, just to get close to the right buck mm-hmm. you know that's pretty much it um passed some deer that uh retrospect i probably shouldn't have but you know hey you're here to shoot a big deer and and you've got the big deer so um no it was been a great trip it really has well, it's per, this is actually going to be a good podcast on a couple different notes. One, I learned some crazy things about hex, even above and beyond stuff I've experienced, which was fun and cool um, about some stuff that you got coming up. But then also just, you know, I've always, during the late season, I've always just been super cautious and I can pick and choose my days mm-hmm. like when I go. Whereas, you know, not really thinking of it from a non-resident point of view that says, okay, I'm coming for five days. And, you know, obviously with Christmas for a non-resident kind of puts you in a weird position because for me, I said, as long as there's, as long as I can find food, then I think you'd probably have a pretty good hunt. Mm -hmm. But if the food's gone, which oftentimes if it gets nasty, it's gone pretty fast, then, then you're just kind of listening to crickets or you're just having real short hunts hunting on transition areas but you had to hunt food sources morning and night for five days in a row so pressure wise it's more pressure than what i would normally hunt as a resident when i can pick and choose my dates and it's relative to success and and numbers numbers of what you'd see oh yeah i mean certainly the early days i mean to be honest with you i thought we were going to be done the first night (laughs) we sat on some turnips and uh 
I mean, we had does and, and little bucks literally 10 feet from us. Everything was calm. Everything was good. And then, you know, half hour before dark, we looked down, and here come these two big bucks up the hill. And they're 120 yards out probably. and But they're coming right up straight to us. I mean, on a string, and I mean, I'm thinking, oh, man. I mean, honestly, <laughs> this has been the first Iowa bucks I'm seeing. The first one was a big, heavy 10. He was an old buck. And, I mean, I was pretty excited about him. I'm going, gosh, I don't know. It's the first day. And then this monster comes out behind him. And I go, um, yeah, I'd be foolish, on a, <laughs> even on the first day, not to shoot him. So, I mean, to be honest with you, they were coming up the hill. All the deer had moved past us to clean up by the road up there. And... I mean, I had my tag on him already. I mean, he's going to walk by at 20 yards. No no problem, right? Well, apparently there was somebody messing around up on the road because, you know, the, the road kind of comes through the property. And whatever it was, something had some deer kind of jazzed up up there by the road. So they all come by us at, right by the blind. I mean, they're coming by at 10 feet, some of them. But they're, they're moving away from something. Well, of course, they got down where the bucks were and drug the bucks with them and and the rest is history, so to speak. So, I mean, it almost was unbelievably good. And it was unbelievably good, but it was still, uh, I thought we were going to be done right then. But as the time went on, um, it definitely got harder. And, and we didn't have real cold weather either. I mean, it was 50, 60 degrees. And, yep. you know, I mean, this time of year, you know, I think you kind of want the want the uh, cold weather so they can be after the groceries a little harder. So, yep. you know, that, that was not in our favor either. But... Um, you know, we, we still saw some good bucks, had some opportunities. Like I said, I, I pass an eight-point that it was probably foolish to pass. He was a really good, heavy old eight-point. Um, had him at 20 yards at one point. Um, and then, you know, I had a big 10 that, uh, you know, if things would have worked out a little bit different, we probably could have got him on the ground too. He was a shooter. But, uh, you know, and, and off in the distance, we saw good bucks every day we were out. So, I mean, I'm ecstatic with the hunt. It's been a really fun hunt, really relaxed. Um, you know, I'm I'm from Oregon, so we don't have a lot of whitetail where I live. And so I usually have to travel out. Historically, I go with outfitters and that kind of thing. And this has been such a relaxed, just a fun hunt. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't ask for more. I mean, John treated me like royalty, fed me well, and put me in some really good deer. So <laughs> what more can you ask for, you know? Well, a couple of things I told you was, one, you're going to see less and less deer every day you hunt. Yeah, which was true. I knew that was going to happen. We started out on um, turnips because it was not completely frozen yet and snow hadn't fallen yet and you could tell they were really trying to get those turnip bulbs out of the ground before they froze solid in there oh, yeah. um so and that's where you had you know pretty probably your biggest buck and you know like you said if and that's that's the other thing i told you too as i said you're going to be on food sources and the problem with that is if any deer spooks the whole thing clears out because being this close to gun season, they're just on edge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if one little thing sounds weird or if something, you know, stuff's just extra jumpy. So for whatever reason, those deer got spooked up by the road and came running by and, like you said, picked up the bucks and they were gone. And then it just, you know, well, we had one day where it got really cold and it, there was some snow in the forecast. So I put you on some, uh, some picked corn and... It just like light switch. Yeah, yeah, we had deer just all over us instantly. Yeah, deer all over us, and and you know the cool thing is, and 
you know, we were able to stay completely undetected. We didn't have a deer bust us all week, not a single deer all week long. Um, and so that was, that was, that made me feel good about, you know, we're about the hex and getting close and, and really staying undetected. And, you know, this, I would looked at this as a good test for hex because, you know, after these deer have been hunted, you know, with bows, then it goes through the gun season. I mean, they're a different kind of animal right now. And, uh, as far as, as how hex performed, I was ecstatic with that. I mean, we had turkeys, matter of fact, we had turkeys in front of us way more than I wish we did. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was two, well, this morning and last night, we had a flock of turkeys in front of us the whole time and we couldn't get rid of them, you know? I mean, and I mean, I'm standing up in the blind, moving around and it just didn't matter. And I mean, some of these birds were literally less than 10 yards in front of the blind were on the ground we're standing up moving around everything i kind of honestly sort of wanted them to leave without putting you know yeah. they just wouldn't leave they were there <laughs> the whole the whole morning and you know that when the big flock of turkeys were there the deer were kind of skirting them you know they didn't want to get right in with them so anyway but yeah as far as uh far as close encounters uh weren't good we did try one little encounter sort of out of the box and <laughs> and had something that has never happened to me i don't think in my hunting career, I've, I've had shots like this back when I used to shoot tournament archery quite a bit. But one morning we decided that we were going to do like I do a lot of times and just get out of the blind and set out on some chairs and just uh, <laughs> kind of set up against the cedar tree there and put Rex behind me with the camera. And I was going to shoot a doe or whatever came by. And we are on a good tournament patch. And, and lo and behold, it gets light. These does come out. And nobody looks at us at all. And they're, you know, anywhere from probably 70 yards all the way into, well, about 25 or 27 yards, something like that. Um, this doe comes up, and uh, I get to full draw, but the, the sun was coming over the rise. Exactly. And I mean, it was right behind her back. And I get to full draw, and I can't see her through <laughs> my peep i can kind of see a haze and anyway really long story short i thought i had the right pin on her but uh instead of having the 30 yard pin a little low i had the 40 yard pin a little low <laughs> if you watch the footage you can see what happens when you miss pin them by 10 yards so <laughs> anyway uh, but i mean as far as the uh the encounter was cool because i mean she kind of caught me on the draw a little bit but she didn't bolt she didn't stand there and i mean she, when the arrow went over she was still standing in the same place so um, I mean, that's really what I was wanting to see, and, and uh, she let me do it. She's a big, mature doe. And then the cool part, after that, she ran. There was two yearling fawns that stayed there. They never left the plot, and she came back around. And, of course, by then, you know, she was you know snorting and stuff because she just got shot at. But instead of running off, she came back. She walked all the way into as yeah. close as when I, when I shot at her. Again, I was reloaded again, but... Uh, you know, when with her on edge like that, I knew if I turned another one loose, she'd come unglued. So yeah. it was just a poor percentage shot, and I chose not to do it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was cool to be able to do that. Um, you know, I did that a lot with other whitetail in other areas, uh, down Texas and uh, some other places. But uh, you know, it was cool to do it on these deer after they'd had so much pressure and proved that we could still do it. So. Yeah. Well, honestly, when you said um, I want to try something different, so. <laughs> Um, you said if it's gonna weird you out, make sure you put me somewhere where it's not gonna weird you out. And I said, well, "What are you gonna do?" And you pretty much said, "Well, I'm gonna go into your redneck blind and I'm gonna get the chairs out, and then I'm gonna go. We're gonna go just be in our hex suits, mask and everything, and we're just gonna sit on the edge of the food plot and shoot deer when they come in." And I was just like, 
I mean, I a hundred percent believe that on my spot and stock situations or my elk situations or bear situations, which um, I've used hex for a long time. And for those of you listening who don't know what we're talking about, we've been talking about hex for the last ten minutes. Hex is a suit that is more or less a barrier um, that blocks your electronic signal that essentially your muscles give off you know your electronic emissions and mike can give you the the real technical um definition of it i'm more of the um layman's terms but um you know it's more or less um a a shield from really blocking the electronic signals that you're giving off which have been known to be different and spike when you're nervous and mm-hmm. when you're you know when your heart rate is higher you definitely give off more and it's been proven especially in um, a lot of the animals that they that there's actual funded research behind like sharks or birds mm-hmm. that animals a hundred percent detect that yeah well I mean you know the f- a lot of people, when we first came out with Hex, everybody thought we were the crazy guys on the block. But there was a ton of science to back it up, uh, even before we went out and kind of proved it as well. But, uh, you know, it's just a physical fact that when your heart beats, when a muscle moves, there's electrical currents that are actually produced and they travel distance outside your body. There's, um, there's uh, you know, meters that can measure those those extreme low frequency fields. That's what they are actually technically called. Um, but they're an extreme low frequency electromagnetic field. They travel outside your body. When you move a muscle, when you flex a muscle or by your heart rate, that's, that's actually producing that field. Everybody has a little bit different natural field as well. So some people are, are naturally uh, putting out more. Uh, most, of the, most of the time, those are the high energy kind of people that, um, that are actually putting out those kind of fields. But, um, you know, what happens is when these animals come in, that's one of the ways that they can tell what's living and what isn't. Inanimate objects do not put out a, a field. And so when they get in close, they're, they're sensing this. And a lot of people call it the sixth sense. And it really honestly truly is a sixth sense. And we're starting to understand it more all the time. But uh, what our technology does, that it's incorporated in the fabric of our suit. It's actually a conductive carbon fiber uh, grid that's woven in an interlocking grid pattern. So... If you've seen your the door on your microwave oven, works very much like that. The, those little holes are the same size, uh, you know, are the same uh, are size and shape to catch the microwave energy. What we've developed is a, a grid of highly conductive fiber that size and shape to block the, the extreme low frequency fields that we emit. So basically, they they're caught in the grid. They're held in capacitance. They ground out when you touch ground, and um, you know that's a kind of a highly technical. Um, explanation but that's really what it does it basically it blocks your naturals natural your body's natural uh, electrical emissions and it makes you much more like an inanimate object so you can get away with a lot more like like i said we were sitting on the edge of the food plot literally in the edge of the food plot where there's completely clear shooting lanes um we were just backed up against the cedar tree but rex my camera guy was kind of back in the cedar i was out on the edge but still in completely in plain sight and, you know, the deer come in and they normally you would expect them just to lock on you immediately. Well, in most cases they would. Mm-hmm. I've often said that I think the woods and food plots, I feel like deer 
learn what those look like no different than me walking through my living room or mm-hmm. walking through my kitchen because there's times where even with me in full camo and everything i'll be doing something in the woods and see a deer coming from a very very long way and just kind of crouch down and it'll just walk up and then all of a sudden it gets within a kind of a certain distance of it and it just looks at you mm-hmm. it's just locked right on and i feel like if some person just came in my house and kind of crunched up in a ball in the corner i'd walk in and be like what the hell is someone over there in the corner crouching down i mean they get to know every shape so much that they all seem to you know new things stick out so i didn't think you getting in a completely uh frosted over turnip field where every leaf and everything in the plot is literally wilted to the ground and here's mike sitting on the edge and mike's a little bit wider than me in the shoulders. <laughs> no bet. Not quite as tall, though. <laughs> and sure enough, you you, you told me, uh, you said, I, yeah, I had a perfect shot at a doe. I used the wrong pin. Sun was in my eyes. I was thinking, okay, here we go. And you guys put the footage on the TV, and I was like, holy cow. Yeah. It wasn't just one doe that came out that was like a dumb young no, fawn. Was, was it was total. Yeah, yeah it was literally... Three total and a mature, a hundred percent mature doe that's mm-hmm. one day out of gun season, and she had no idea. Yeah. And you literally drew your bow back. She caught you drawing your bow, um, because she was somewhat quartering to you, quartering to you really. just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, her eye could definitely see that movement. <clears throat> but then once she drew back, she was just looking at you like. Yeah. She was actually looking through you. You can tell mm-hmm. when their eyes are looking around and not just locked. They're mm-hmm. not really looking at you. They're trying to look through you or figure out what that noise was or what the movement was. Yeah, and you know we've seen this. You know this is what I do all the time is you know put put the technology to the test and and you know in different situations and we've seen it time and time and time again. I mean with all different species. Uh, whitetail mule deer same kind of thing they just don't perceive that movement they see the movement but they don't perceive it as something that's living and so it's a really confusion factor for them they just they don't know how to react and this doe ran off and came around the tree and came back she was curious she actually did not know what it was and 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 to shoot a doe the day after gun season you literally airballed Airball. Oh, oh, it was a horrible shot. <laughs> it was a horrible shot. Airball. Probably the worst shot I've shot in 20 years at an animal. Runs off, starts stomping. The 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 younger deer that was behind her actually didn't, because it had never saw you move. Mm-hmm. She kind of caught you raising your bow and drawing back. The other one was feeding, so when you shot and she ducked and ran off, the other one then just started looking around and looked right. your direction and several times. And reload. Oh, that's Completely. right. I, I got another arrow out of my bow cord, put it on, and I thought about trying to shoot her, but I wasn't sure on the yardage. You know, she was a little further out. She was probably 40. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. And, and, and those two yearlings never left the field at all until finally the doe came all the way back and walked all the way up to where, almost where I'd shot at her the first time. You know, and of course, like I said, I, I knew what was going to happen if I tried again, I, even if I got to full draw. There's no way she was she, she was going to react. So, yeah. you know, I knew better than to try to shoot again. But like I said, it was still a neat experience. It really was, um, and you know, it just proves what I've seen on all kinds of species over and over. You know, we went to Africa and used hex to spot and stalk animals like impala, and kudu, um, 
And same kind of thing. I mean, you, you just, you're, you're not perceived, that movement isn't perceived necessarily as danger. Even when they see it, if you hold still in a spot situation, if you hold still 90% of the time inside a 30-second self, they'll quit and go, yeah. back their, go back to the thing. And that's a huge advantage for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, well, um, for those of you listening who haven't heard an earlier, I did a per- podcast with Mike earlier, um, and we talked about Hex. I think it might have even been before the knock-on version. Mm, it was right about the time we were talking about yeah, it. Anyway. Yep. Yeah, yep. Because, um, you know, I've... Well, I'm trying to think, how long has it been since the white suit? Uh, the, that, that was 2010. Okay, so yeah. Well, I would have thought longer even. but mm-hmm. So in 2010, Mike and I... Um, Really, that's when I you sent me the first one, mm-hmm. yep. and you know you kind of talked to me about it, and you said, you know, remember that subject I was talking to Ulmer about with how sometimes deer have six senses, and you were talking about you know some people don't like to get within a certain distance of mature animals for too long mm-hmm. because they just get that weird feeling and they bolt out without really needing any act, you know, any like right. sight or sound trigger. Mm-hmm. They just you can tell their skin starts. Their ears all of a sudden just kind of move around. You can see their their facial expressions are like, what is that? And then, boom, they're gone. Yeah, you watch that body language and it just changes. And all hunters have seen it. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of the reasons why we try to, when we get in close, we know we got to get them killed pretty quick because they're not going to be there all day. Pretty quick, they're going to know something's wrong. And, and I mean, that's just as hunters, uh, what we've always uh, had to deal with. And, and which is really why our hex came from, was asking the question, why is it? You know? yeah. I mean, is it, are they just that alert? Is it, is it, is it scent that's always the culprit or it's, it's, but it's not, it's, it's this, um, this electrical field is something that only living beings emit. So over eons of evolution, they've been able to, to key in on that subtle difference. And that's one of the things that will be the tip off between what's living and what's not. And without that, it's really a confusion thing. You know, I mean, we, we have five issued patents on the, on the technology and we have, you know, we're, we're, we're now selling, um, you know, our suits into the aquatic market. It's got a huge following there. Um, we have special forces that are now buying, uh, hex suits because it allows special forces guys to go back and become, you know, less detectable, particularly with animals like dogs. Dogs are very susceptible to this. Um, So by blocking that, and then, you know, we've got a lot of really well-known animal scientists right now that are are using it in their research that's helping them get close. Um, Interestingly enough, we have a couple of, a couple of, uh, uh, programs that are going to be coming up. One's going to be on animal planets called extinct or alive. Um, and it's going to be airing, I believe in mid April and that whole crew is in hex suits all the way. And what they're doing is going around the world looking for animals that may be extinct. Yep. And um, Forrest Galante is heading that project. And he's an animal biologist. But some of the interaction that they have with some of the craziest stuff you've ever seen in your life. So, you know, they're using their whole entire crew is using hex to enable them to get closer and, you know, have a better experience with animals. And, and that's really what hex is all about. Um you know, we like to use it as hunters, but, uh, you know, bird watchers, um, uh, spear fishermen, divers, uh, you know, anybody who wants to get a closer and more natural interaction with animals is what we're about. So. Well, the sharks and migratory birds are, are the two areas where there's actually been, 
you know, financially backed scientific yep. data. Yeah. And that's what's hard for hunters is, um, you know, it's it's all about what you've experienced because it's not like there's the same kind of research behind a whitetail's sixth sense, you know, or yeah, not yet, you know, n- yeah, not yet. It'll, I think it'll, especially now once you start to, I think once these next two shows come out that aren't in the hunting market, mm-hmm. um, especially with, I guess, what the military's found, they wouldn't have bought it if they didn't find something with it. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's gonna change things. But the migratory research is pretty. I mean, it's pretty just yeah. cut and dry and as clear as you could ask for. Yeah, I mean, um, ornithologists, which are bird scientists, will talk about um, how particularly migratory birds n- navigate, and it's pretty undisputed now in the science community that birds actually see the electrical fields of the Earth visually. They're seeing that electromagnetic field, and that's what they use to fly on all their migratory patterns and all that. Well, what we put out as living beings is a very similar, again, extreme low-frequency field, uh, very similar to the Earth's magnetic field. And what we put out is, like I said, it's, it's, it's something that's very, very similar. So what we found, um, and mostly with turkeys, actually, and just hunting turkeys, um, hex is an absolute game changer with turkeys because it allows you to get away with movement. And I don't know any other product out there that will allow you to get away with movement right out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably shot 30 turkeys with a bow, I would say, at this point. And the way I hunt them is on a lawn chair, kind of like what we did with the with the deer. <laughs> Only with turkeys, I don't even worry about having, if I have a little back cover, that's fine, but you don't even need it. Literally setting decoys out, setting beside them in the lawn chair, and it sounds so crazy, but it's so cool to do. Um, call a bird in, and it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to be turned away. He can be facing dead on. I've shot, I don't know how many, inside of 10 yards with them facing me, and they'll watch you draw your bow and watch, and they'll stand there until the arrow hits them. And, and you um, were the full set hat gloves. Yeah, with, with, with birds, it's absolutely essential that you wear the, the gloves, the face net, the whole thing. Because like I said, they're seeing it visually. So, you know, you need to have everything, you know, uh, everything covered. Um, our face mask has an eye hole, which, you know, so far that hasn't, hasn't been a big deal. But as far as uh, gloves particularly, because you have to move. There's no, way yeah. you can, there's no way you can kill that bird without moving. So um, a lot of guys with shotguns now, instead of having to sit there with the shotgun on their knee pointed the way the bird comes, they can sit up by the tree and wait till he comes in, just raise the gun and kill him. <laughs> and, you know, it really is a game changer for turkey counters. Um, it's, that's the one species that if, if somebody says, you know, I want to try your hex, uh, technology and I want to, I want to see a result every time. Um, if you use hex on turkeys, it's, you're going to see a result just about every time. You know, I, I mean, you can't walk out across an open field and walk up to them. You're not invisible, but if you set up and you don't really have to set up in the brush that much, just set up and call birds and don't worry about that movement when they come in. Cause you'll get away with the movement every time. Um, you know, we do the, uh, NWTF show, uh, the big one in Nashville every mm-hmm. year. And we've done it for, I think four years. And, you know, now it's so much fun because 
you know, the guys who have bought suits that were skeptical are coming back and showing you their pictures and telling you the stories of this and that and whatever. And, and in, in all of our history that we've not had one person that's ever used the suit and came to the show and said, Hey, you know, I tried it. It doesn't work for me. Not one. And you know, that's, that's probably a couple thousand suits over the years that we've sold it at that show. Yeah. But it's, it's, I look forward to that show every year because it's so many people come up and, you know, it's just, it's just wow! I can't believe what I saw. You know, so it's it's really it's really a fun place to be. Yeah, well, I've used it for a long time, and originally, it was just well, the very first one was white. Then 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 I think was there a green one? And all well, we did a black one after that. Okay, kind of a dark greenish black. And then was yeah. there a different kind of camo than this one? Yeah, we originally had a uh, the in the next camo. That's what it was. Uh, That's what it was. The brown next camo. Yeah, but you're one of the few people that actually have the original white suit. Now, <laughs> there's actually one version earlier than that that was also white that actually had stainless steel as the grid. <laughs> you didn't have to deal with that because that one was a. Uh, it worked actually, but it was horrible to wear. <laughs> um, so you have the very first prototype fabric that we did uh, with carbon, the carbon weave. Yeah, and uh, and it has actually changed quite a bit since then too. I mean, uh, you know, it was, that was our basically, I guess, our second prototype at that point. But well, the way just to tell everyone the way that I wear it, and um, there's there's kind of two different suits available now. One is almost like kind of a camo pullover. The other one is more of like an underlayer, mm-hmm. and that's what I personally have always used it as. Um, and now the newer one has kind of a mock neck, which actually is kind of when I finally said, well, hey, I wouldn't mind doing a knock-on version because at least then people can see the name. Um, so what I'll do is that layer always goes between my thermal layer and my outerwear. So, um, you know, I'll, for example, when I was in France, I had um, a thin wool layer first, then I had a 4.0 base layer, and then over that was my hex zipped up, and then I put a hoodie, um, a wool hoodie over that, and then my jacket was over the top of that, and that's pretty much how I wear it. Now, if you get the, um, like the camo suit is more just like, almost just like a mesh, like a mesh net. And, you know, what a lot of people, especially people that are, you know, Under Armour fans or some people just like Realtree stuff or some people are into Sitka or some people Mm -hmm. are into Kuyu or whatever they're into. Um, it allows you to still wear your main hunting clothes that you like. All you're doing is, you're creating this this barrier, and actually, for the longest time, I was really adamant to Under Armour to to try to buy you before before, <laughs> before anyone believed you, because <laughs> I told them I said, "Listen, this is something I really believe in. It sounds like you know, it sounds like some kind of a um, some kind of a you know Harry Potter ninja cloak, but I totally believe in it, and I." And I told them and, you know, it just, it wasn't like, I think now it's probably to a different level, but, um, I just like the ability, at least in the one that I have now, I really like this, the newest Mm -hmm. one, um, which we're branding and have on the website. Um, but it fit, it actually did a really good job for fit because the arm length and leg length, it, 
it's a stretchy enough fabric to right. even with my height, I have coverage, mm-hmm. but I also have friends that are shorter and they have coverage and um, it seems pretty dang spot on. Like when I have people that'll say I wear a 36 pant and normally, I mean, they're like, I haven't, we haven't had any comeback cause they didn't fit someone. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we tried to do was make it to where, you know, number one, you want satisfied customers and the technology is one part of that, but also if it doesn't fit right, they're not satisfied either. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of research that went into that. And it's a, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's one that, that we've had really good success with, uh, as far as the uh, sizing goes, but you know, the thing, the, the important thing to remember about hex is that it doesn't matter if it's under or over or in between, as long as that layers between you and the outside, you're going to see the benefit. Yeah. That's all you need. And you know, so the, uh, you know, the underlayer that we did and this one that you're doing, you know, that's our most popular piece right now. Yeah. It really is. Um, our original camo suit, we made it camo because that gives people the ability, if they so desire to wear it as an outer layer. But probably 90% of those were worn under as well. Yeah. Um, and they're, like I said, it's a different kind of a fit. It's a, it's a lot baggier. It's more of a, that was really a, uh, the most basic form of hex technology that you could use in just about any hunting situation. Um, the, the underlayer is more of a, you know, it's a, a little more high tech piece, a little better fit type. Uh, I would type say garment. there's a little bit of insulation value there. there um, actually, you know what we're finding, and this was a surprise to us, um, but when we started, particularly in the wetsuit side, the guys were going. And if you know anything about wetsuits, there's different millimeter thicknesses. Yeah. So there were guys that were diving in water where everybody should wear a five mil wetsuit, and they were just baking and they would go back to a three mil what we found and this is actually corroborated it's actually been completely scientifically corroborated that the the wetsuit the actual the the conductive fiber is actually when it's catching that energy it's actually turning some of that into heat or insulation so there's a six degree difference in the wetsuit between exactly the same suit with um with hex and without there's a six degree uh difference in the in the core temperature because it's more or less it's making those i guess those waves bounce back well it's actually holding them in capacitance yeah so in essence it's it's a battery okay so when it's held in capacitance it's actually you know it's just like a battery It's, it's actually holding and, and creating heat in that. We didn't know that, or my patents would look a lot different, believe me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, and it also happens in the hunting suit, and particularly in the underlayer, you see that. Um, because it's a really thin piece, but it actually, you know, it actually keeps you pretty warm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So that's a, another side benefit that, uh, like I said, I wish I didn't knew before we filed our patents. <laughs> well, and I think because of that, it's important to say, too, I noticed that, you know, I definitely. Um, what I, I like to have a wicking layer against my skin first, then that piece, mm-hmm. because if you just wear that piece right to your skin all the time, like, especially if you're on a multi-day hunt, I mean, you're going to generate some heat. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're moving, you're going to generate some heat and, you know, it's going to end up smelling before your hunt's over. So mm-hmm. I just find by putting some type of, you know, like a compression layer or some type of a wicking layer between me and that. Mm-hmm. It definitely helps for wearing the same piece for multiple days on a right. trip. Right. Um, well, over the course of these four days you've been here? 
four or five? Uh, four, well, I guess we we hunted an evening and then we hunted a morning, so I guess it'd be five. You put okay. Up. Well, I just continued to ask Mike about more and more stories, and I've been watching footage um, on Rex's computer from just different things that you haven't really told me about. And I know that a lot of my followers were posting a lot of stories about more like weird encounters they had with birds, mm-hmm. squirrels, a lot of small game animals that come up onto you when you're sitting against a tree or when they're in a stand. You just, I mean, I found that squirrels just, they want to try to figure out what the heck you are. I mean, they come right on the, yeah, like right. some of them will just come and actually get on me and just look yeah. like what in the heck is going on. The, the cool thing about squirrels though is that, I don't know about your experiences, but my experiences with squirrels over all these years is they just don't bark at you anymore. Right. You know? And that's huge. Yeah. Um, if you're hunting whitetail and you got a squirrel barking above your head, you're not going to see any deer. I actually <laughs> never thought of that. I haven't had any barking at me. No, that's, uh, that's something that... Uh, you know, back in Oregon, we have uh, they're pine squirrels. They're a different kind of squirrel. Yeah. The same thing. They sit up there and chatter all the time. And and with hacks, you just don't get it. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the things that we hear, probably one of the most common is birds actually landing on people. Matter of fact, when we were hunting the white-tailed doe out here that we were just talking about, the one that I can't couldn't shoot on, um, uh, we, we actually had a bird land between Rex and I, and he was trying to get the camera on it, and he just, just flew right. But, but, I mean, we're sitting two feet apart, and it's sitting on a limb between the two of us. Well, what's crazy is while he was trying to get that shot, that coyote came to, like, two yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, he, and, and literally, it, like, you saw it so fast that you turned to, uh-huh. to try to draw, and it, it, you know, it was too much movement at once. But that thing was right there yeah, he was three feet away he we were sitting, and you're sitting set on, on a the, chair yeah we were sitting on the edge of the you know on the cut food plot he was coming up the edge of the cut i mean the grass is i don't know six inches tall probably and rex happened to be trying to film that bird so he had the camera running and then this coyote i mean he didn't hear anything he was just there and like i said when he came i mean it was that close and pretty good size i saw him peripherally and i kind of jumped you know and then he saw me and he still ran out and stopped. He He's, did stop it. He, he stopped less than thirty. Oh, he was probably yeah twenty yards max. He stopped I mean, and had turned I been, around. Had I been shotgun hunting, he was done. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, by the time I got to full draw, you know, he'd taken off on me. But um, but yeah, that was actually the same morning as the deer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, that was crazy. You keep he keeps really coaxing me into trying to do these crazy hunts where I'm. You know, he's like, can you just do a turkey hunt where you're just sitting in the middle of the field? <laughs> I'm still waiting to, uh, I'm still waiting to like be part of a punked episode or something. I keep feeling like for years you've been telling me these stories to see if you can actually get me to do it. And then I, I want you to cook. actually do it because you will never hunt turkeys any other way. It allows you as a bow hunter to be a running gunner, which is way more fun. I just, like I said, well, I got a little chair that's easy to pack because I like to be up off the ground so I can draw my bow and turn or whatever. But literally you're packing that and your decoy and you go to the birds and when you, you know you're just like a shotgun hunter in a way because you get close to the birds you set up and you don't have to worry about because you'll get away i guarantee you're going to get away with getting to draw guarantee you just got to do it slow and smooth just don't be yeah, i mean honestly you don't have to do it all that slow honestly <laughs> 
because, I mean, I'm getting older and I don't draw my bow as slow as I used to. I mean, just draw it normal. I mean, don't do a bunch of arm waving and stuff. But, <laughs> you know, get your bow pointed at the turkey and just draw it back. You did do arm waving on that one video you showed me. Last year, last year in Texas, we uh, called this ham in and she came in and she was just... I don't know what it was. My buddy Brad was calling. I don't know what he was telling her, but he had her upset at this hen, hen decoy. And she stands for almost 15 minutes just beating the heck out of this uh, out of this hen decoy. So, I mean, it's a good time for us to, to see what we're doing. Again, we're sitting right in the open on chairs. My yeah. buddy Brad's calling and filming, and I'm sitting out in front. So I start out with a slow little hand wave, like, how you doing? And no reaction, no reaction. <laughs> Finally, I raise both hands of my bow up like this. And I'm 10 yards from her. Doing shoulder presses. Shoulder presses. <laughs> and she doesn't do anything. Finally, I, I'm like over my hand, you know, crossing my arms over the top. And I mean, I'm waving pretty fast. She never did. She finally knocked the decoy over and left. Finally, <laughs> after she thought she killed the decoy, I guess. But and this is, I mean, we purposely waited till she was facing us and everything and nothing. Yeah. Your daughter got, is it the number two turkey? Number two Osceola. Her first turkey ever. Um, a couple of years ago, we went and it was, we decided we were going to try to do the turkey slam with a bow. And we're going to call it the lawn chair slam. Unfortunately, <laughs> after <laughs> Kaylin killed a the number two uh, turkey ever taken by a woman with a bow on that trip. Huge bird, just a monster. And I mean, I'm sitting behind her with the camera. We're sitting in a looks like a, almost like a. I mean, it's it's graceful. It almost looks like a lawn almost. I mean, the way the field is set up. But this bird comes out of the brush, come over right to the decoy. Caitlin gets to full draw. I mean, there's not a blade of grass or anything between us. And she smacks this big old bird. And uh, none of the rest of us got turkeys on that trip. So she was the only one still eligible for the slam. <laughs> and so um, we went, it was a like a month-long ordeal really because everywhere we went outside of florida the rain followed us everywhere just pouring rain but caitlin had had she been able to actually connect on all the shots she had she she had shots at every species um she ended up she killed a nice rio um she did not get the miriams we went to south dakota and she shot at one and missed it that that i wish she would have got um but outside of that i mean like I said, we had every species that she <laughs> she's had opportunities at. And the Easterns, we were in Tennessee. Um, she had Easterns the first day, and a lot of people have seen this footage. Um, it, we're on a, what was really a good turkey place, and, and the thing is, is what we didn't know was going to rain for an entire hunt except for the first evening. So these three jakes come in, and Caitlin and I are both sitting with our bows, and I told her, well, go ahead and take one if you want. So there's three jakes at literally not more than 10 feet away. And she draws her bow, but she was so excited and they were so close. That as soon as she hit full draw, she hit the trigger and, and missed, reload. And, and they, so they move out a little further. And I said, ah, heck, let's wait for a bigger one. I wish I'd let her keep shooting. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, she had the opportunity at all the birds uh, species. So anyway, one of these days we're going to try to redo that and maybe we'll, uh, weather luck will be <laughs> The lawn chair slam. <laughs> that sounds like a good one. Yeah. Um, well, what um, what other – I'm just a huge believer in this, and – there's times where you and I start talking about stuff and I'm like, man, that would have been really good information to get out there. I really feel like a big part of my success are 
are a couple things. One, I think I'm picky in the products that I choose, but also when products work, I don't change things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got a 22 year old sight on my bow. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to make me that version in a, you know, 2018 model, <laughs> and and I'll change. But you know, it took me a long time to change arrow rest. I'm really happy with that. You shoot the knock on elevate. Yeah, awesome, awesome rest. And uh, I don't know when it comes to. When it comes to camo, I was a Realtree guy for 20 years. Um, you know, 20 years I was pro staff with them. And then uh, I'm just a huge fan of this Ridge Reaper Baron pattern. I just mm-hmm. love this Baron pattern. It's amazing. And then obviously the Hex stuff. I'm like, I'm actually really happy because I, um, I'm pretty sure I can say it now, but Anyway, my my previous contract that I had relating to my camo clothes, there was, I probably, I was too honest and I made the mistake of saying, well, I can wear my hex suit, right? And they're like, well, what is it? And I was trying to explain it. And in the process of explaining it, I said it was a base layer. <laughs> and so in the small print of my camo contract, it says I have to wear a base layer. So when that contract was finally done i was very adamant about okay listen i'm wearing this stuff it does in no way is um doing anything that's competing against what you have Mm -hmm. and you know and i said in fact i tried to get you guys to buy them before they were (laughs) like reputable Mm -hmm. and so i was able to uh now i'm able to expose it and at least show people that I'm wearing it and talk about it. Um, it was kind of a little bit awkward, but it is what it is. I can understand why, you know, I can understand why some people said, well, I don't know, it's a gray area, you might not want to risk it. And then obviously, you know, you kind of said, well, as long as it's working and you're wearing it underneath, I don't give a, you know, I don't really mind. But then mm-hmm. finally got to the point where it's like, you know, John, can we use you with some of these hex video? Because I mean, some of my footage has been pretty spectacular. Oh, it's a, yeah, you've you've definitely are showing hex in action. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And you're like, man, I want to get you on the show, which is good. Um, that's kind of, a, I guess, a little bit of an announcement. Um, so I am going to start doing some appearances um, with Mike on their show, mainly because um, this is the first time I'm able to like, you know, speak openly and wear hex openly exposed um, rather than just underneath everything which wouldn't have really been much of help to you um so yeah i'm like i'm gonna be sporting the the knock-on version hex it's it's a cool deal too because we've known each other so long it's neat to be able to do a project like this and and to have you on our show um like i said i mean there's there's it's hard to find actual real professionals sometimes in in our industry there's a few around but guys that actually uh get out there and get it done and 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 like i said we've been buddies for 20 years at least yeah so so it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh looking forward to having you on hunting with hacks um so we're on the pursuit channel we're on seven days a week so uh you you can get a lot of (laughs) airtime when when will that start when do you think some of these hunts um our our january show's already done but i could see them starting as soon as february okay well there you go people um that'll be pretty fun but what else what else is cool and why i'm glad we can start working together some 
is, and this will grow for those of you listening, this will grow. I'm going to show some of Mike's stuff. He's got some really cool things I think I would like to show in my channels. And then obviously I'm going to give you some of my footage and stuff mm-hmm. um, just for you to, you know, help, help grow what you're doing too. But Mike's one of the few people that you and I genuinely used to have conversation, not just about like hunting technique and strategy, but also about shooting and tuning. And, um, you know, you've, you've got a very, a very diverse background when it comes to building bows and strings, obviously did so much homework with that and you changed the entire world. I mean, you you changed the entire bow hunting and archery world when, you came to market with winner's choice at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for me, it's just about, I mean, I've been passionate about what I do. I was uh, passionate about shooting uh, tournament archery for a long time as well. And, you know, if you've got a problem or maybe you don't even know you have a problem to start with, uh, you know, I, I, I'm one of these guys that, you know, I'm not necessarily tied to any one train of thought. If you got a problem, figure out how to fix it. And if nobody knows how to fix it, then figure out how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, like I said, it's, it's, it's been a pretty fun life so far. I haven't had a whole lot of complaints. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's doing what I like to do and, uh, you know, actually helping people in the process. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. You shoot, um, you shoot a six fletch, uh, mm-hmm. And when we the other day when we were talking, I was asking about your setup. So he shoots a six inch fusion vein. It's actually uh, a four inch fusion. Oh, it's a six fletch four inch right. fusion. Um, and you through that testing process, you found a few things. And I think the reason you did it, same reason for me. Um, and maybe they have different ones now. But when I first kind of followed everybody's suit into the short high profile vein market i tried a blazer at Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. and you know i had a lot of animals reacting to my arrows and started doing some noise testing and then realized there was some noise stuff there and i tried to change slightly change the shape of their vein a little bit with scissors to like try to reduce noise but when you would the flight characteristics would kind of deteriorate really fast so I just got to the point where I was doing a lot of a lot of different testing and things like that. And then what's funny is this past summer, I settled on um, the two inch Pro Max Hunter in a six fletch for Sharon's arrows, mm-hmm. and those things just fly so good and they're so quiet. Yep. And you know, for her bow, because she's not reaching out to a suit, you know, the types of yardages that I do. I worry a little bit more about deceleration, but it was a perfect little recipe for her. But you're shooting the same, a six fletch, but with double the vein. Right. And what you told me you found was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and I had the same experience with the high profile veins. I mean, you know, the, the, the animal wasn't reacting to the sound of the bow. They were hearing the arrow coming. Yeah. I mean, I have footage of a mule deer buck literally hearing the arrow coming and watching it fly by him and as he ducks under it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was obvious when you, the cool thing is that when you film all your hunts, you get to learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. So when you really analyze it. And so it was a problem. But I'm from Oregon where uh, we have to shoot fixed blades. Um, you know, the mechanicals are not legal in Oregon. So I don't even look at mechanicals because I can't use them anyway. So what I was looking for was something that was quiet but would still control my fixed blade and make it group with the field points. And so I actually was down visiting with Randy Ulmer a few years ago and noticed he had quite a few six fletch laying around. And I quizzed him a little bit about, uh, you know, about why. And, and as far as I'm concerned, Randy's one of the most knowledgeable archery people that's ever lived. And, you know, that kind of stuck in the back of my head. So it was actually, a, I don't know, I think three years ago is when that particular buck actually watched my arrow fly over his back. And I said, I got to change something. This isn't working. And so I decided I, I fletched arrows in all kinds of different configurations, short veins, uh, you know, low profile, high profile, three fletch, four fletch, everything you can imagine. And um, what I found was six fletches control that fixed blade phenomenally well. And um, the actual quietest, the two quietest ones that I tested, what I did, I set my video camera with the big shotgun mic down range, shoot arrows over it, and then I could literally put it on the editor and watch the, the you know, the, the noise. Peak. The yeah, peak. The peak sound, right. And so the two quietest um, out of all of those, all of those configurations, the two quietest were a two-inch, basically a target vein, yeah. um, low-profile target vein, and this four-inch fusion, and, and I flex it, I fletch it maximum right helical. My left helical wouldn't make any difference either, but I use right. Um, so it's got a lot of spin on it. Um, actually, that arrow's turning about two and a half times faster than a four-fletch with the same arrow, with the same fletching on, which would surprise me. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's given it so much accuracy with that fixed blade because um, it's just spinning just like a bullet out of a gun. You know? Yeah. But um, the the noise version, that was the second quietest. It was quieter than four fletch. It was immensely quieter than even a three fletch blazer. Yeah. I mean, it was like twice as noisy as, as these. Um, and the interesting thing is I was like you. I was worried about downrange drag. Yeah. And because there's undoubtedly some, there's weight, there's more, there's more drag on the air, yeah. arrow and stuff. But you know, I shoot long range stuff too. And what I ended up doing um, when I use, I use an Archer's Advantage program for my long yardage. Yeah. And I just set it to a four fletch, four inch. Uh, that's what how I set the computer. And I mean, all the way out to my my, I can clear my broadhead out to 135 yards, and it's on the money. Um, uh, I had a video that a lot of people got to see here from about a month ago, where I shot a coyote at 99 yards with it, and with a lighted knock and and all that. And I mean, just center punched it, and all I did again. I mean, I just used my my I've got my bottom pins a rover, and I just psh, turned it down to 99, made a good shot. And, yeah. And, uh, but so there's not as much drag as people think, and. You know, if you shoot a fixed blade, I can't even shoot your six fletch against the four fletch to see what the difference was between those two. You know, I I really didn't because at that point I was already committed because of the sound difference. Right. And the ability to, I mean, field points of broadheads, I mean, it has never been easier to get them to group together. Okay. You know, they just, it's just way easier. The bottom line is either way, it's a scale. If you don't know that there's, you know, when you're comparing them, if you don't know that, there's you know 
a plan B mm-hmm. that could, you know, and you're trying to weigh A versus B. If all you have is A, then you just, you're just sighting into how that pretty, shoots and they group well enough to where it doesn't much, matter. Pretty much. I mean, because the difference in the ability with fixed blades to, to get them to group was immense. It really is. Because of that, I think it's because that arrow's turning so much faster that it doesn't let that fixed blade take over the, you know, take over the flight. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I don't shoot front of, that much front of center either. I'm only about 65 or 7% front of center. Not well, very much. Yeah, well... You know? I've actually had some theories behind that. I talked with James Park. Did you ever, have you mm-hmm. ever talked yep. to James? Yeah. You know James. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most knowledgeable there is for for the archery world and aerodynamics. Well, him and Technichov could yeah. probably get yeah. pretty weird together. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> they could spit some numbers pretty weirdly at each other. Um, but, you know, I actually called him with a theory one time, and I said... I actually feel like there is this this zone in archery where when you're talking about fixed blade broadheads that a higher FOC isn't actually in your favor when it comes to group ability and how the broadhead shoots. There is obviously benefits when you look at FOC or front of center when it in relation to wind drift mm-hmm. um, and just the point of the arrow you know, leading the way um, from the tail, which is, you know, why a higher front of center percentage is better from that aspect. But when it comes to actual shooting and grouping, if you factor out, a you know, a horizontal wind drift, I've actually found that taking some of the power away from the front of the arrow and allowing the, mm-hmm. allowing that FOC to be lower so that the back end of the arrow has more dictation on what's going on you can actually get the arrows to shoot better yeah well i mean it 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 could make sense because basically if you're if if the front's dragging the the back along which is what you're kind of hoping for with front of center yeah but the front has wings on it (laughs) you know you're kind of it's kind of like pushing rope i guess you know it's going to have some problems but uh uh, but now I could I could see that, um, but you know that's one of the things that with the six flats you end up with with more weight on the on the back end of the air. Yeah. But the other thing, and I think it's huge, is the is the ability to to get that much more spin. I, I just really think that's a, a a lot. And you know you would think on the surface that that would make more noise, but it, trust me, it doesn't. It, it's mm-hmm. I've had way less problems with. With animals jumping, jumping the arrows. Well, it's just creating a different airfoil. Yeah. Technically, yeah, I mean, the spacing between the veins could be creating the sound where you know where both of those winds are coming together mm-hmm. versus you know versus having them tighter together to where it's channeling over it more as like a ball rather than in between each of the slits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it surprised me. Honestly, it did when I was doing the testing, but I did it and and I did it over and over. And when I when I found that that was the second quietest thing that I that I tried, and the first quietest wouldn't control the broadhead, then it's like, and then I, I mean, I shot about 
you know, I probably shot less than, uh, certainly less than 100 arrows, and I was completely sold on. Because, I mean, my field points and my broadheads grouped together. You know, you still have to tune the bow, but you don't have to do all that micro-tuning like you used to have to do to get the field points and the broadheads together. And I'm pretty adamant that that's the case because I don't want to have to practice with broadheads all the time. Yeah. You know, so anyway, it, it works good. Um, you know, I get asked all the time, well, how do you fletch a six-fletch arrow? And it's it's actually really simple. I use a Bitsenberger jig. And you just fletch a three fletch, and then you, when you're done with that, you let it dry, and you take and you turn it around in the receiver, and fletch three more. It's really simple. Yeah. So your knock, you pretty much take the arrow out. You'll roll it 180 yep. degrees and slide it back in, to where those same exact clicks that you just used will actually click right in between yep. the last three that you made. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's, super it's easy. Really you don't have to make any adjustments to your jig other than the exact same as what you have it for right now as a three. Uh, just do it yeah. the exact same. Just make sure when you take it out, don't turn your knock or index your knock at all. Leave it right where it's at and just rotate the arrow yeah. 120 degrees and, and go for yeah, it. And I like to make 180 sure. I, degrees. Yeah. I like to, I like to make sure and take them out and leave them overnight just so, cause you can, you know, even with some of the fast sticking glues, you know, if they're a little green, because you're basically, you know, running that through the jig and it yeah. contacts and stuff. So I usually let them dry overnight and then put them back in. It's a safe thing to do. Okay. Um, well, you've got a flight you're going to have to catch here. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I'm going to have to leave Iowa. And uh, unfortunately, with an unfilled tag, but I certainly had a good time. And I got to, <laughs> I got to, I, I mean, I got to thank you and Sharon again. I mean, it's just been a, a wonderful trip. It really has. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. I was glad to, um, a couple things. One, you kept really trying to talk me into hunting and I just kept telling you, man. Yeah, I, I wish you would have. Maybe we'd have got a kill on film. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean, if you need a kill on film, I can go out and I can hunt. But By I'm all actually, means. <laughs> I've just really enjoyed cooking for you and Rex, and I've enjoyed some much-needed family time, and Noctuits came in, so, um, you know, as you see, the house has been buzzing, trying to, you know, fill everybody's stocking with those, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I look forward to more stuff. I'm going to try the lawn chair I don't know about the launch here slam, but I'm going to try a, a launch here. <laughs> well, we hunt. saw lots of turkeys out there. I think you'll have some opportunities oh, yeah. that I could tell. <laughs> well, the problem was my whole turkey crew, they kind of didn't do so hot this year. So now the amount of turkeys that are out there on that place, they're it's almost too big because they've just wiped out all the food sources. Well, one thing about it, if you, if you can't find a gobbler, there's at least three hens out there with the longest beards I've ever seen on bearded <laughs> hens. I mean, they're... The, we actually had two toms come by in front of us. They crossed I know, 10 yards in front of us this morning, I guess. And there was a hen that had been there earlier that I think, I'm pretty positive that her beard was bigger than theirs. And, he, and they were good toms. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah, well, you have to try that. It, it, it'll open your eyes. It really will. You'll be surprised. All right. Well, I um, hope everyone enjoys their weekend. If you want to see more um, on the Hex it's H-E-C-S, and um, there's actually a really cool, um, there's a couple really good videos on your website specific mm-hmm. to, there's a couple that were like more documentary style put together on how what the science behind Hex is, um, and then you can, you know, if you're interested, you can, well, you can get them from Mike, or if you want to knock on the knock on Hex suit, you can get it on knock on archery 
dot com. Um, if we still have any, I mean, I know you were you're yeah, out. Yeah, we're we're out. I mean, you're out, and I think we may be out of. Yeah, I mean, we're out of some sizes too. Yeah, I mean, we've got another shipment on the way. We're rushing it as quick as we can, but I mean, that's it's it's grown so quickly. One of our biggest challenges is really keeping keeping it you know keeping it coming in quick enough. You know, yeah. it's been been i mean it's kind of a good challenge to have in a way but in on the other hand you know people want it and it'd be nice to get them but we'll be back uh, fully in stock um on everything on the camel suits and the um and the underlayers uh by first february at the latest okay so certainly in time for turkey season and and all that so okay all right well thanks everybody appreciate it make sure you uh What's your website address? I know it's, it was a little it's, different. It's hexllc.com. So H E C S L L C dot com. And uh, yeah, check it out. And yeah. Yeah, people always take the cool websites. Seems like as soon as as soon as I registered John Dudley, every John Dudley domain was bought in like <laughs> two minutes. Yeah. So um hexllc.com and yeah, all that's good. Make sure you check them out on Instagram too. Got some pretty cool stories. I'm going to post some of Mike's uh, pretty amazing footage that he has, too. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.